pastry with oil, a beautiful gift from God. Oh, all we have is that manna. It shows up every day. It's fresh. But yeah, I'm tired of it. And is that you today? Is that your heart today? Listen, I'll be honest. I studied this week. I'm like, God's dealing with my heart on stuff. Like, hey, hey, what about this? I've blessed you. What are you taking for granted? What are you pretending it was better in another spot, in another situation? And we all have the capacity to do it. Be careful what you wish for. That's especially true for the children of Israel as they progressed through the wilderness towards the promised land. After eating only manna for weeks, they wanted meat. As Pastor Daniel will explain, our God isn't happy when his people are complaining. When we grumble about what we have, it's like saying what he's given isn't good enough. Listen as we find out why chastisement is actually a good thing. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Immediate Issues. Think of that every night from the hand of God, completely abnormal for them. For us, you're like, oh yeah, I can only eat a donut three days a week, so I have to have a croissant because I need my variety. And that is a... A first world problem, my friends. You go different places in the world, you realize it is just not, we live in a different kind of environment than everybody else. But they're like, they're frustrated. We're we're drying up. All we eat is this pastry every day from God. And it's easy to look at it and, and make jokes, but I am sure that many of you right now, God has provided for you. Maybe it's with your spouse. All you wanted was a godly spouse. And all of a sudden you get him and you're like, yeah. I'm so sick and tired of that person. It's like they love Jesus. They love you. And you're just like, yeah, I just, I remember back in Egypt, it was like, it was so great. It wasn't great. God's provision is great. God's gift to you is great. But when we get in the flesh, pastry with oil, a beautiful gift from God, all we have is that manna. It shows up every day. It's fresh. But yeah, I'm tired of it. And is that you today? Is that your heart today? Listen, I'll be honest. I studied this week. I'm like, God's dealing with my heart on stuff. Like, hey, hey, what about this? I've blessed you. What are you taking for granted? What are you pretending it was better in another spot, in another situation? And we all have the capacity to do it. Verse nine, and when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. It's an amazing gift, but they're complaining. Now look at what happens in verse 10. It says, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displaced. So Moses said to the Lord, verse 11, why have you afflicted your servants, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers, where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, 
give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. So imagine this. It starts with the mixed multitude. Listen, negativity runs forth like a virus. It does. Someone complains in your direction, you're complaining, right? So now it starts with the mixed multitude, but now everybody in the camp is discouraged and despondent. They're all weeping in their tents, and Moses can hear it all. Everyone's, oh, I miss Egypt, and I'm so tired of this pastry, and all this stuff. And so Moses, so it says the anger of the Lord was aroused, and then Moses was displeased. So God is angry, and now Moses is upset, and Moses begins to talk to the Lord. He says, Lord, why have you afflicted your servants? He's saying, Lord, what did I do to deserve this, God? That's really what he's saying here. And he goes through this whole series of questions. These are what you would call rhetorical questions because he already knows the answers. But he is having a pity party. That's what he's doing. He's frustrated. Everyone's crying. And he's like, I do not need this, Lord. That's really what he's saying here. He says, why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all the people on me? Did I conceive all these? He's like, Lord, these are your people. They're not mine. I didn't make these people. You did. Now, you go through all this, and what you realize is that this is what happens when we do not cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And I know that there, listen, many of you right now, you feel just like this. You're, you're, you're reading this and you're like, man, Moses is speaking my language. Because at some point you're like, Lord, what, what did I do to deserve this? I mean, I, this is your world, man. I didn't have anything to do with creating this and I'm not sustaining this. And this is, why did you do this to me? Right? Some of you feel that way. He's like, Lord, where am I going to get meat to give all these people? Now, you know what's amazing about this? All the people are wrong, but guess who's also wrong? Moses is wrong. Because Moses has seen God do everything from the front row. He's been right there to see everything that's gone on. He saw the Red Sea part. He saw all of the the plagues happen. He saw God do all this stuff, and God told him he was going to do it. And Moses is like, Lord, why is this all on me? It's like, Moses, it's never been on you. Moses is not responsible for any of this. None of this was Moses. Moses didn't even want to go, remember? Exodus chapter 3 and 4. He gave God a good shot at a run for God's money. I can't go. What am I, who am I going to go? He had all these questions and excuses. Don't send me. Don't send me. He was not a willing participant in all this. And now he's like, how am I going to do this? Like, you want to almost like knock on Moses' head like, hello, Moses. You haven't done anything. None of this has been you. So why all of a sudden are you taking all this stuff on yourself? And you know what? I really believe that for some of us, you have to realize what is actually yours and what is the Lord's, and you have to make sure you get those distinctions good. And don't get me wrong. 
I mean, as a pastor of a congregation, I get that there's a cost to leadership. I get that. You know what I mean? And I could be like, oh, yeah, I, you know. But no, it's, man, this is God's gig. Your family, that's God's gig. Your job, that's God's gig. You just get to be there. And you have to remember what is yours and what is God's. And if we don't make that distinction, you will feel just like Moses and so will I. You'll be like, man, what do I do to deserve this? And, and this whole thing crescendos. He says, 14, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. And you know, it's, we're going to get to the fact that God agrees with them on that and God's going to anoint 70 elders in a second. He's going to say, yeah, you're right. You can't do this all yourself. But then he crescendos, climaxes, verse 15. If you treat me like this, notice that. Lord, if this is who you're going to be, then please kill me here and now. Like, you got to love the chutzpah, the gumption of Moses. He's like, Lord, if this is who you are, just, you know, just let's end this right now. We're done. Just kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, he even says, like, that word found favor, that, that speaks of, if I have grace in your presence, God, then just kill me right now. But notice why he wants to die. And do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses doesn't say, Lord, kill me right now so I don't have to see their wretchedness. Moses realizes that the issue is with him. He's like, Lord, I can't do this. If this is who you are, then kill me. If I found grace in your sight, kill me. I don't want to see myself like this. And you know what's good about Moses right here? Moses is sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that actually is a good place to be, isn't it? Because when you get to the end of being tired of yourself, being tired about everything, then God can do something. And I believe that for some of you, for some of you right now, it's very important that you come to the end of you being at the end. Because when you hit rock bottom, the only way go, to go is up. And I think if you're here right now, it's not by chance we're doing this passage. Moses is in this space because God loves you enough to want to change you. See, God isn't going to change all your circumstances. He's going to change you and your circumstances. That's what I've learned. We want to change the circumstances. God wants a new us in our circumstances. God wants us to open our hearts up and say, Lord, what are you doing right now? Like, why am I all freaking out? Why? I have all these good justifiable reasons why I'm ready to be done with this life. And I just can't handle all this. And I'm... It's, but when you get there and you cry out to the Lord, God acts and moves in a powerful way. So look at what happens. In verse 16, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with me. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that is upon you and will put it the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? 
For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat and that they may eat it for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So the two issues, the people's desiring of meat and Moses desiring for help, God answers both of them. Now, notice first the gathering of the 70 elders. And we're going to see how that plays out in one second. But he says, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that you, they may stand there with you, verse 17, and I will come down and talk with you there and I will take the spirit that is upon you and I will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. So I want you to notice something. God is appointing 70 elders. Now, now, do you notice that he says, I want you to choose 70 elders who are already being elders? I'm here to tell you, listen, as it relates to growth in a church or church leadership, the best way to do church leadership is you look for who is already serving and caring and leading people. Those are the people that churches should pray and lay hands on and ordain as elders. Because we live in a day and age within the church where you can go to school and you can get a degree and then all of a sudden you come to a church and they make you something. But really, God doesn't say, look, I want you to go get educated and then you're going to be something. God says, look, I want you to serve the people. I want you to lead the people. And the people who are serving and leading the people, those are the people who I want to put my spirit on to lead in a more pronounced way. Now listen, if you're here today and you love Jesus, every single one of us should be aspiring to leadership, servant leadership within the church. Why? Because that's what our Bible says a Christian is. So brothers and sisters, find somebody to serve. Find somebody to love on. Find somebody to come alongside. And the beauty is, is that in a church where everybody is serving people, then all of a sudden, God will be like, oh yeah, now that one, that one, that's supposed to be a church leader. That's supposed to be a church leader. That's supposed to be a church leader. But I love that. He doesn't just say, oh, I want you to choose those guys because they got the most education. They got the high, also the biggest debt because of all that education. And you're going to lay hands on them because they're the smartest. No. He says, look, who's already the officers of the people? Who's already leading the people? Who are the people looking to? Those are the guys that I want. So 70 people are chosen. They're going to get the spirit of God so they can help Moses. And then, of course, in verse 18, we find out about this giving of the meat. And God says, look, you're complaining, you despise me, you want meat, I'm not going to give you meat just for one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, I'm going to give you a whole month worth of meat until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Now, don't miss this. 
This is what happens when you give yourself over to your intense cravings. This is a a textbook, old school look at how addiction happens. Because you have a desire, you give in to that desire, and at some point, that desire begins to consume you. That's how it works. That's why it says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Because what happens is you give in to it, and immediately it's enjoyable until over and over and over again, and then before you know it, it totally hollows you out from the inside. That's how it happens. And God is saying, look, you want meat? I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to hate meat. Because the problem is not the food. The problem is your heart. And I think, I am sure that in a, in a, in a congregation this size, there are some of you who are, you're given so over to your flesh that it's all loathsome to you now. You can't even enjoy the thing that was your thing anymore. Because it's totally hollowed you out from the inside. Because it's completely deadened you on the inside. Because you've given yourself over to so much of it for so long. And that's what's going to happen to the children of Israel. They're going to get so much meat. Like, it's going to come out your nostrils. You're going to be so, you're going to not want to eat meat forever. I'll give me give you an example of this for my life, right? I've done missionary work in India. Now, when you go to India, they just give you curry for every meal. So literally, breakfast, lunch, dinner, it's curry, curry, curry. And sometimes it's curry on rice. Sometimes it's curry on little potato patties. But it's curry. And so I was there, and there was a team of about... Uh, seven Westerners. And so you get there and you're like, okay, it's curry, it's curry, it's curry. And everywhere you go, no matter what you do, it's curry. And in some ways the curry is good because you know the curry is going to be so hot and spicy that it's going to kill everything that could kill you. So you're grateful for the curry, right? And so, but literally, when you're from the West and you're used to eating all these different varieties of food, once you get about four days into nonstop curry, you really hate curry. Then you just find yourself just kind of pushing the curry around the plate a little bit. And if you're at someone's house, you got to eat it because they're giving you, like, they're giving you their food and you just got to eat it. And so you're just choking it down. And I'll never forget, so about two-thirds of the way through the trip, we leave this one area and we end up in New Mumbai. So it used to be called Bombay, now it's called Mumbai, the newer section. And we pull up to our hotel and you'll never believe it. There's a McDonald's, like, right down the block. Because they don't eat meat in India, there ain't no burgers in there. It's all chicken sandwiches. But it didn't matter. Because you should have seen nine American guys getting off this car, running for McDonald's. Now, I don't like McDonald's very much at all. But at that juncture, I would have eaten anything that didn't have curry in it. We're sitting there. There's eight of us around the table. All of us ordered like four sandwiches and ice cream. And we're like, (laughs) and I'm like, dude, this is Numbers chapter 11. That's what I say. Because literally, I, like, it was like we were just chowing on, and it wasn't curry, and it was awesome. It was so good until we all got sick that night. It makes sense now, right? That's what's going to go on here. They're going to be so excited to get meat, they're going to eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, and it's going to come out their nose. And they're going to they're gonna hate it. It's going to be horrible for them. And that's exactly what ends up happening for them. Now, notice... After God says this, notice Moses in verse 21 and following. Moses is like, uh, excuse me, Lord, there's 600,000 people. How are we going to feed them all? You think about this and you're like, come on, Moses. Like, he's God. He created everything. He parted the Red Sea. You walked through it on dry land. And then when the Egyptian army came through, he shut it down. And he met you on Mount Sinai. And he gave you all these laws and all this stuff. And he's like, Lord, don't you realize, do you realize the scale of what we're going to be doing right now, Lord? Now listen, 
Look at God's response to Moses, verse 23. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether I will say, I say will happen to you or not. I believe that for some of you, God has told you he's going to do something. And you're kind of like Moses, like, Lord, don't you realize how big this thing is? And, you know, like, uh, how are we going to get this done? And he's like, look, is the, the Lord's arm being shortened? Is, is God not strong enough to do what he said? Now I'm here to tell you, if God can separate your sin and my sin as far as us, as the east is from the west, whatever else you got working, small potatoes. Like if God looks at you and says, perfect, righteous, my child, knowing your background and my background, then whatever the thing you're worried about is small potatoes for God to take care of. Moses is worried like, Lord, I'm going to tell these people we're going to feed them meat for a whole month and there's a lot of them and you can't do that, Lord. It's like, no, he's God. He's like, well, I got this. I was like, I got this. And so look at what happens. So from there in verse 24, it says, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men, the elders of the people, and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And great names, by the way, Eldad. If you have twin boys, Eldad and Medad, it's right there for you. Anyway, (laughs) I got sidetracked. Bummer. Okay, anyway, the spirit rested upon them in the middle of verse 26. Now they were among those listed but who had not gone out of the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. The young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, verse 28, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. I'm going to read you the rest of the chapter, but I don't want to run through all this. And I know that given time constraints and everything, I'm going to take from verse 24 to the end of the chapter in next week's message. Because there's so much in here that I don't want to just like fly over this real quick to get the chapter done. Because this is important stuff. But notice what happens. God said he was going to put his spirit on 70 elders, and he does. And then, in verse 31, look at what it says. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day, in the middle of verse 32, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered 10 homers. Jesus is Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. There are two things that I love in this world. One is Jesus, you know that, and the second is coffee. There's nothing like a hot beverage to bring people together. We've all met people at coffee shops to have great conversation, to be able to spend time together in fellowship, and we 
love to drink coffee out of our special Jesus is Real coffee mugs. It's one of the ways we get the message out. And we want to bless and say thank you to the Jesus is Real supporters who help us get this program out and are helping us expand to new marketplaces that people could hear this message in other places. So Josh is going to come on with more information on how you can get this special limited edition Jesus is Real coffee mug. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. We are so very thankful for all of you that have supported Jesus is Real Radio. Every donation helps us continue and, as Pastor Daniel mentioned, expand the reach of Jesus is Real Radio. We would love to send you your very own Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug like Pastor Daniel mentioned. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more through the month of June, we will send you a Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug as a thank you. All you have to do is visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. There you can send your donation securely. And as a thank you, we'll send you a limited edition Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug. Again, that's all available at JesusIsRealRadio.com. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire team at Jesus Is Real Radio, may God bless you.